Sometimes the hardest thing to do and the right thing to do are the same. One would never need to think about making a decision like this until it comes to you. Welcome back to this person I met. Today, we have Ms. Houghton with us sharing critical decision-making moments for her son, Carter. Ms. Houghton is a teacher at Thurston Elementary School in Ann Arbor. Seven years ago, Ms. Houghton was a new mom expecting her first baby. During a routine ultrasound exam, doctors brought her and her husband the unexpected bad news. The baby had a rare and severe defect. A revolutionary surgery in her womb might bring hope to her baby. However, that surgery had never been performed in the state of Michigan. Stay with us as Ms. Hilton narrates hers and her Carter's ongoing journey with this birth defect. Carter is seven years old, um, and when I was pregnant, we found out that he was diagnosed with spina bifida. Um, Myelomeningocele is the form that he has. Um, there are different levels of spina bifida, and so that is like, quote, worst case scenario. We found out that we could have a surgery while he was still in the womb, um, but I had to be a candidate for it, so did lots of testing. He was a candidate, so we were the very first within the state of Michigan to undergo the surgery, which went well. Um, he continued to hang out and I continued to be pregnant for almost 12 weeks and then he was born at exactly 34 weeks. So he was a preemie, spent some time in the hospital. Um, he has undergone about seven surgeries since being born. He will most likely have more surgeries throughout his life. The surgery does not correct. You can't correct spina bifida. It's a birth defect, so it will be with him forever. But that is, I guess in a nutshell, kind of the story of <laughs> that first part of Carter. <laughs> this is the first time we've heard of spina bifida. Credits to my brother, Curtis, who brought the story home after hearing about it from Miss Hilton. Spina bifida is a birth defect in which a developing baby's spinal cord is unable to develop or close properly in the womb. This defect causes long-term disability, bowel and bladder dysfunction, and the possibility of not being able to walk independently. To lessen the severity, recent medical advances allow for surgery to happen on the fetus during pregnancy, but the risk and outcomes vary case by case. When the doctors informed you that the surgery for spina bifida on an unborn baby had unpredictable outcomes, how did you make the decision? Um, so really with any spina bifida child, it's known as the snowflake diagnosis because literally every single kid with spina bifida is different. Even if they have the surgery, even if where it affects them on their body is the exact same location, um, anyone can have different outcomes. So when they told us about our options, they had shared with us the study, it's called the MOMS study that the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia had done, had really great outcomes with it. And we just kind of figured 
if it could help him at all, that we wanted to give it a try. So really that was our thinking with it. We had heard really good things and seen um, from the study. So yeah, we thought, well, what's what's the harm, right? <laughs> so was that like the major factor that led you to agree to do the surgery? Yeah, I think so. When um, we learned that like with the nerves that are were on the outside of his body were kind of like floating around the amniotic fluid, that's actually toxic. So the longer that he was in it, the worse nerve damage he could have. So by doing the surgery, we were helping at least stop whatever nerve damage was already done. Um, so that's really the big part of why we wanted to follow through with it. Yeah. Were you scared at all that it would not turn out? I didn't really know what to expect or like how things would turn out. I was definitely scared and nervous. It's the not the first surgery I'd had, but the first major surgery. Um, the fact that I was first too also was very nerve wracking. Um, so when the doctors told me that I was a little bit afraid. Um, but my partner, uh, my husband had kind of said, well, if you're the first person to ever have this done, like they really don't want to mess this up. <laughs> so they're going to really be very careful. And that helped kind of settle my nerves a little bit. Um, so kind of adding on to what she's talking about, um, was it hard to find trust in a doctor who never performed the surgery before? No. So the doctors had per they had done the surgery before, just not at CS Mont Children's Hospital. So they did go to Philadelphia. They had performed the surgery before, just not within the state. So I had a lot of confidence with the maternal fetal medicine team um, at Von Voigtlander. I knew I was in good hands. So you never kind of looked for a second option? No. No, I didn't. Um, we both went to the University of Michigan, and we knew that we wanted our child born there. And knowing that the hospital is one of the best in the country, we kind of thought, like, well, where where else would we possibly go to get a second opinion? Um, and after talking to other moms who have kids with spina bifida, we learned that the options that we were given were actually much better than what other families have been told. Um, so, no, a second opinion, I don't think ever even, it never crossed my mind. <laughs> so what were, like, the other options that other families were given? Um, unfortunately, not all doctors have up-to-date information. So a lot of times families are told your child will be a vegetable. They won't have any, um, what is the, I can't think of the wording right now, but they won't have like any form of a real life. They'll constantly be in pain. Um, a lot of doctors have said you should just have an abortion and it's the child's life won't be worth it. It's just very, unfortunately, it's, it's just not really up to date with what we've seen with the family connections that we've made. These kids have spina bifida. Yeah, that's one part of them, but they're living full, wonderful, beautiful lives. Um, so I consider myself fortunate that we weren't given that information um, and we were given lots of different, well, at least three different choices of what we could do. 
Um, yeah. What were the three choices? So the first choice was termination, is what they said. Um, and I looked at the doctor who had given us that option, and I said, don't ever bring that up to me again. Um, so then she had said the other two choices were the once if the in utero surgeries, which is what we did, or they do the exact same surgery, but just after the child is born. So if Carter wasn't a candidate or if I said, no, I don't want to do this surgery, then he still would have had it just after he was born. Carter received fetal surgery on July 29, 2014 at the Children's Hospital at the University of Michigan. He was only at 23.5 weeks of gestational age. Um, I don't really mean to pry anything, but yeah. uh, can you tell us more about the surgeries? Like, were there any critical moments that happened along with it? Um, if there were, I don't know of them because I was fully and completely out. Um, um, both Carter and I had our own team of doctors. So there were a team of doctors focused on me with the um, obstetrics and gynecology side of things. And then there were a whole team of pediatricians working with Carter. Um, we each had our own anesthesiologist. So even though Carter was inside of me, they like put me to sleep deep enough that it affected him as well. So there were two different people. One was monitoring Carter. The other was monitoring me. So... I was like put to sleep, sounds weird, but um, they had to cut horizontally uh, my stomach and then they had to cut my uterus in the thickest area. And the reason for that is because they weren't just delivering a baby and they had to sew me back up when the surgery was done. They wanted to make sure it was in the thick part where it could heal and hopefully I can continue to keep the pregnancy going as long as possible. So they had to cut my uterus and they cut that vertically and then opened me up that way and performed the surgery on Carter while he was, they could see him. They never took him out of my stomach um, or of my uterus, but there was a doctor who tucked her hand underneath and held him while they performed the surgery. Um, I do know one little hiccup that they ran into is when the neurosurgeon was closing his back up that his skin kept breaking because he was only 24 weeks. So he didn't really have a whole lot there. Because of that, they had to cut two little slits on either side of his spine um, to just help sew up where that surgery took place. Because he was... I was still going to continue with the pregnancy. They actually said like that skin will reproduce itself. So it wasn't a, a huge problem, which it did partially. I think after surgery, Carter was probably like, what in the world did y'all just do to me? So because of that, he ended up laying against me. So one, his uh, right side never fully um, had that skin close back up. So when he was born, there was a pretty significant part of his back that did not have any skin. Um, miraculously, though, his skin grew when he was in the NICU. 
So it's really amazing, like, what babies' bodies can do. Um, But that would be the only thing that I knew about that was, like, a hiccup or something that had happened. The first 24 hours after surgery, they said, were the most critical because then they really had to monitor, is the baby okay? How is their heart rate? Um, How is their movement? That was the the point really of if within the next 24 hours things aren't going well, then they would have had to have delivered him. And being born at 24 weeks is very difficult for any baby. Um, So that was like the point where they really were, that they were really monitoring me closely after surgery. Um, During surgery, does the baby feel any pain? I'm so curious. That's a great question. Um, I would like to think they don't because that anesthesiologist is still like making sure that the baby is under um, and isn't moving because there's so much medication. I honestly, I, I don't know. Um, From what we were told, it's, they monitor it so closely that the baby wouldn't, but who really knows because only that that baby would know at the time. So. Carter stayed in his mother's room for 10 more weeks, born in October 2014. The surgery was a success and due to the novelty, was covered widely on the news, social media, and UM Health's webpage. But for Ms. Holton and Carter, it was just the beginning. Yeah, so we know there was like a series of surgeries after Carter was born. I think you said seven? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Did the process of like going through all those surgeries for you and for him get easier? Um, they never get easier. I think, um, because Carter is my first child too, that it doesn't ever get easier when you watch your child have to be wheeled away and go into the OR. It, um, the nerves are always still there, even if it's a minor surgery, because right there are risks with anything. It's starting to get a little easier now that he's older so he can comprehend more of what's happening and we can explain it to him. Um, So that part is easier, but no, surgery, it never, you would would wish it would, right? But (laughs) not really. (laughs) Um, Have have you ever had discussion with Carter about his medical condition? Yes. Oh, all the time. Yeah. we want to make it very clear to him of that he has this birth defect, that it's a part of who he is. It's not all of who he is. Um, it's hard for him right now because being a kid who's in first grade and is seven years old, sometimes he gets really frustrated over the things that maybe his friends can do, but he can't do it yet. Um, and he'll say, why do I have spina bifida or how come this happened to me? And so just being able to talk to him about how he's feeling, but we've always talked to him about it and shared with him because you can very clearly see the scars on his back. So we knew that he could obviously see them too, or feel them. Um, and just sharing with him about the surgery. We even have a special day. So on the day of surgery, 
we celebrate that day now and it's called his sneak peek day because we got a sneak peek of him. Um, so he sees it as almost like a second birthday. So we do a cake and we do this big celebration and we explain to him why we do this. And so now he's like, yeah, 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 I know it's my sneak peek day. Like you gotta, you can stop talking to me about it. Um, so yeah, we do our best to explain at least, you know, age appropriately what it is. Is he curious about it? Um, sometimes he is. It kind of depends on his mood. (laughs) Other times he's like the, I don't care. Yeah, I know. You've told me a thousand times type of situation. So if you catch him on a good day, maybe. Yeah. (laughs) Um, what are some obstacles in his life that you can kind of foresee? Um, the biggest obstacle that we see with Carter is with his mobility. Um, we were told that even with the surgery that it, that Carter may not walk. Um, so that's something that we were just preparing ourselves for. And obviously there are plenty of people on the planet who cannot walk and wheelchairs give them the freedom and the mobility to be able to have that independence. Um, so we knew that that would be something that Carter might have in his life and giving him independence but obviously with accessibility is not always great in a lot of places so knowing that that might be a bump in the road for him um but his mobility has kind of been that biggest area um it did he did start walking it was later than your quote typical child would he's had to have multiple surgeries on his legs to help with his mobility Um, he wears braces or called AFOs or SMOs, um, to help kind of keep his feet flat to the ground and straighten them out and give him that extra support. Um, so I think that's probably the biggest thing, especially with the age he is now, kids are starting to get a lot faster with running around and he will get frustrated because he can't keep up with his friends or he physically gets a lot more tired than your typical seven-year-old might. So how do you plan to support him like with that like like when you said he gets frustrated so how do you help him deal with that? We tell him that that's okay that it is frustrating right like it is super frustrating when things like that happen in anyone's life and so we let him feel that frustration um You know, there have been times where even he'll get frustrated to the point where maybe he even, like, throws a curse word out there. And we're like, yeah, that does happen, man. Like, it is really frustrating. Don't say that word anywhere else because it's inappropriate, but you're home, you know. Um, But just letting him feel all those things and then explaining to him that it's okay and that we're going to do whatever we can to make it make it better um being a teacher has been a blessing because at least i i know education which is good and i understand how i'm not an expert but i understand the special education aspect of things at least from that teacher's point of view which could help me as a parent and as time goes on or as he gets older finding new ways that might support him better. 
The family celebrated Carter's medical and growth milestones one after the other. Now he walks, runs, jumps, and shows off his cool dance moves. And in 2019, Carter became a big brother to Colton, the second boy in the family. Um, so we um, know that Carter has a younger brother. Mm-hmm. Um, were you worried that when you're pregnant for the second time, that the same thing might happen to him? Um, a little. We talked about it. I had talked to the doctors about it too, and they had they had said that although possible, it was like a point zero 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 one percent chance of it happening. But there's always that chance, right? Because we didn't know Carter was going to have it either. Um, So there was that conversation. They did tell us that if um, Colton is his little brother, if Colton was diagnosed with spina bifida, that he could not get the in utero surgery because I had already done it. So they said that would be too much damage on my body. So he would not be able to be a candidate. And we kind of were like, oh, no. Like, how do you... If that happens, how do you tell one, yeah, we did this for you, and the other one, like, sorry. <laughs> um, so there was a little bit there, but the doctors had kind of reassured us that it's very unlikely it could happen. So I think we were prepared either way for it. Yeah, The disease is genetic, right? No, not necessarily, because there's no one in our family that, that has it. So um, for some cases, it just happens and there's no rhyme or, or reason to it. Um, so Carter is a really lucky boy to be taken care of by the whole family. Um, now Colton has come along. How do you and your husband balance your attention between your two sons? Oh gosh. Um, I think that kind of goes with any, with any parent or any, any family that has more than one. Um, we do our best with, making sure that they both know how much they're loved. Obviously, Carter has more doctor's appointments and Carter has more things that are going on. Um, As of right now, it hasn't really been a a quote, like a a problem, if you will. Uh, But Colton's also only two years old. So I think we, I'm sure that there will be issues as they get older. And the fact that, yes, Carter does have more doctor's appointments and he does have more things that we've got to take care of or take a look at. Um, But we're hoping that we are raising Colton in a way that he understands that and knows that his brother has these differences and that he is going to support him too. So how have your experiences with Carter's disease shaped your life? Um... Wow, that's a really good, deep question. Um, Well, I definitely know a lot more about spina bifida than I ever knew before in my lifetime. Um, I think it shaped my life to look at things a lot differently, things that I never thought of before. So um, because I'm seeing different interactions or seeing how it affects Carter, um, So I could think of like a perfect example would be a playground, right? Before I would just look at a playground, kids go to play, I teach, I see kids play on the playground all the time. Then after having Carter, when he got to the age of being able to go to a playground, but he couldn't walk, how does he get to the playground? 
You can't crawl on wood chips. If he's in a wheelchair, you can't really use your wheelchair on wood chips because that's not easy to get to. And then if your wheelchair even makes it to the playground and there's no ramp, how do you play at the playground? How do you try to take a kid into the bathroom when they need support if there's no changing area? Or if your child has outgrown the changing area, I'm not going to lay them on the floor of a public bathroom. So how do you do that? Um, So a lot of things that you don't think about until you have to. Even with sports, Carter is very athletic. Um, So learning about sports for people who have disabilities. And those are things that I knew were there, but... I never really paid attention to them. Um, And now Carter plays sled hockey, which is amazing and awesome. And we've met like Olympic athletes and it's been super cool. But, you know, there are things that you don't think about until you have to. And I think, too, um, there's a person, it's not in any way, shape or form my quote, but they had said, you know, the disability minority group is the largest group on the planet. And they're the only minority group that any person could join at any time. And I think that that was a powerful thing to hear because it's true, right? Like <laughs> that could happen to anyone. Um, so a lot of a lot of those pieces, I think, have shaped my life and how I look at things now. So how are you overcoming these challenges, like you said, with the playground and stuff? Um, I try to do what I can to make change in a positive way. So, for example, the place where Carter goes to school, um, they have really taken him in and have asked us when they start to update the playground, like, what are some things that would be helpful for any kids that have a physical disability? Um, I know that the high school in the district that Carter goes to, they do this huge fundraiser every year and make and don't you know try to get as much donations as possible and they give to a local charity but they've decided that the money that they've been raising is now going to be used to make an all access all inclusive playground in the area that we live in which is awesome so being able to make changes in those ways being able to advocate for people with disabilities to have access like everyone else should Um, Have you been contacted by other families who have gone through similar experiences? Yes. Yeah, we have. Um, We've been able to make really wonderful connections with other families that since we had the surgery, that they had also had the same surgery in Michigan. So we even like have our own little Facebook messaging (laughs) group and, you know, we're all older. So Facebook has always been the thing, at least for groups. And so... Um, we've got support in, in and with each other. The hospital will sometimes reach out to me to say, Hey, we have a family. Um, if they're interested, could we give them your information? If you'll share your story or if you'll be any support. And I always say yes, because, um, I think being the first person, I would have loved to have had that. So if I can give that back to another family, I always try to. 
Yeah, so the first time we heard about your and Carter's story was from my brother Curtis, uh, who's a student in your class, obviously. Uh, he said you shared the story with like everyone in the class. <laughs> is, there, is this a message, or is there a message you want to spread to like the little kids? To the little kids? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, I think the biggest thing that I try to share in the classroom is that we're all different, and different is good. Um, because if everybody was the same, life would be really boring. Um, and I share that in the classroom and now the kids are like, no, let, you know, like it'd be so boring if we all looked the same or if we acted the same. And, you know, there is no such thing as like, it's just different. It's not that something is weird. It's different. And that's not a bad thing. And it's different doesn't mean that one is better than another. Um, and something that I tell Carter all the time is every, and I emphasize every body is different. So yes, your body is different, but so is mine. And my body is different than this person and this person. And so I think the more that I can do that and share that with kids at this age, the more that they will see that differences are a good thing when they get older and not be so afraid. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing You're that. very welcome. Thank you guys. Yeah. I appreciate it. Also, I love your hair. I just want to say. Oh, According to the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention, about 1,500 babies are born in the U.S. each year with spina bifida. Carter and his mom's story brings hope to more children in Michigan with this defect. In 2015, Miss Hilton established Carter and Friends Foundation to raise this awareness of spina bifida in the fetal surgery. On their website, you can see more than 40 smiling faces of children who have been diagnosed with bifida and have their fetal surgeries throughout the country. As she said, spina bifida is not the end of the world diagnosis. It's the complete opposite. We're humbled to hear about all the incredible medical advances and in awe of the Hilton family's courage. the bed.